Welcome to Growing Unicorns, where every week, Holly Chen, Eli Rubel, and me, Karina Edwards, come together with some fun guest hosts at a live interactive discussion where we unpack stories from the trenches while we're working with some of the fastest growing unicorns today. We have a return guest, we have a return audience. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to episode six. We're so happy to have you here. Where are you based out of, Natalie? Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Nice. And you? I'm in Arizona. Holly, where are you at right now? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I'm in Amsterdam right now. Uh, uh, But I did go to grad school in D.C. Went to to GW and lived in Crystal City. Should have bought a place. Uh, but I couldn't have afforded it anyways. Uh, so yes, DC is uh, a dear to my heart. Crystal City is expensive. I also lived in, in Crystal City before I started having kids and then I moved to the suburban area in Maryland side. Yep. Which, which neighborhood right now? Uh, Potomac. Oh, nice, nice. Cool. Nice. All right. Well, since we have Natalie and Carolina here, is there anything that you guys came like hungry to talk about before we dive into some of the topics that we had in mind? My head is all about subscriptions now. So if you maybe have a tips, uh, maybe flows, you know, just the basic uh, looking what people do to optimize conversion when you say you have people onboarding and you want to pop up appropriately, subscription offer uh, in the app. Yes, like in-app campaigns. Mm-hmm. Holly, I'll let you take a stab at this one. You, um, I, I didn't hear very well. So you mean like, how do you um, engage people in this in-app campaigns? Yeah, uh, maybe you know the libraries. You know, sometimes people are publishing flows. And specifically, I want to see examples of, let's say, onboarding that's followed by a subscription offer within the app. And maybe you know examples that, is been done correctly and it's appropriate for people to convert from free users into subscribe users within the app. Mm-hmm. Mm, you mean like the nurture flow and like a conversion flow, probably? Yeah, it might be like new users coming and you want to show it. Maybe it's existing users and you're showing uh, the offer uh, for subscription great experiences. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I would say like for mobile in general, because like a testing for mobile is pretty, like is pretty relatively easy to, to set up uh, with the tools. Um, so like, and there, there could be many different versions. Um, so typically I would just like <laughs> test a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and and depends on the the type of app you have. Um, honestly, like the earliest experts uh, for mobile are all uh, mobile game folks uh, who just like test um, so many different uh, versions of uh, the gameplay or like the different offers to upgrade of uh, different combinations of of things. That there are just the true experts uh, in um, like, I think the growth marketing slash experimentation. Uh, so like sometimes um, when, when you hire a, like uh, a, a mobile uh, growth marketing person, 90% of the chance they grew up in, in mobile gaming, it's, it's very applicable in that, uh, in that world. 
Yeah. Cool. Well, Carol, Carolina, welcome. If anybody has any other discussion topics or questions that they want to chat through, feel free to drop them in the chat or you can jump on through them. Otherwise, Holly, I think we have some stuff that we want to touch on. Cool. Yes. Awesome. So as we talked about earlier, Holly, something that's on my brain is the motion from, you know, I think the hot thing right now is product-led growth, but then once that engine is built, um, obviously the goal becomes now let's increase our, you know, ACV, let's move more enterprise and that motion to where do we start, right? You have all these users, you have typically in the PLG model, like users across different personas or use cases, like where do you even start? And what are some of the, either the tools or the processes or like cadences that you focus on in terms of here's your, your PLG engine or database of users. Like what is the first thing you focus on? Holly would be super Mm -hmm. interested to hear just your perspective on that. And then I can chime in with just some of the things that, that I'm thinking through. Yeah. Uh, that's, um, Lots of uh, lots of my clients are trying to trying to do that. I would typically recommend three big things. One is metric defining what is the success metric. When do sales teams start to touch um, the the users or the teams? Um, how do you actually figure out the the teams that are most likely to upgrade to an enterprise? So like a metric. Um, mm-hmm. And two is uh, the people slash like a team um, because uh, people. With uh, more of a PLG experience uh, and people with more of a dimension experience, they they actually like typically grew up in different worlds. Um, I've seen a lot of people who uh, transition into PLG. Um, so some of them have uh, almost like a, a B2C experience. They have more of a scalable, high volume, high velocity um, acquisition background, and then they went to PLG because it's almost similar to to a consumer acquisition versus uh, more of a sales um, sales assisted or sales led motion. The dimension folks uh, typically grew up in more of an enterprise uh, world. Um, they typically uh, worked at a company who targets you know ACV of like a million plus type of deal. It's highly targeted. You know exactly the ICP uh, for uh, for these uh, for 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 these targets. And they're working with, um, you know, a, a CPA of, you know, a thousand per lead or something like, you know, really, really high uh, if, you know, based on their conversion rate, obviously. So like uh, the, the building the team who has the expertise, who can very quickly adapt to the new growth model and uh, train your sales team uh, for a different uh, mode of operations, uh, that would be like a pretty big big transformation of process and 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 and, and people and the thirdly is actually uh, creating the system and tools to enable uh, this new segment of uh, of process in and uh, motion uh, because the type of tools you use for the sales um, sales assisted and sales led motion um, is typically quite different. So in a PLG motion, because you typically have a higher volume of users or uh, like just like number of records. Um, you will want to optimize uh, for tools um, that have 
has uh, that has the type of pricing model that allows for millions of records um, versus a uh, sales assistant model. You're working with you know hundreds of leads or like thousands of leads, uh, but you want to have a lot of information about each one of them, and you may have many touches of these like several thousand people. So the type of um, tools of CRM tools, of data enrichment tools, uh, of engagement tools are could be very different. Um, I can give you an example uh, is um, let's say you want to have a tool to manage your notification and email flow. You want to design um, an automated sequence for, for doing that and for or uh, more of a PLG, like uh, more high volume tools like Braze or like Iterable, um, people tend to adapt those tools because they're just like allowing for millions of, of records uh, versus for uh, more of a uh, uh, demand generation sales led. It's like Marketo or like HubSpot, who's like allow you to design all kinds of marketing uh, automation flows, uh, but be really targeted on, on 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 the sophisticated flows that you you run. Yeah, I would say I think that's like one of the biggest differences in the tools from like PLG versus sales led motion is like Iterable is going to give you the customization of like content affinity, right? Where it's like you have this user, and I think in the PLG model, we're really trying to identify like who is this persona, you know, what are their affinities to either the content or the use cases or features in the product so that we can extract that and eventually like monetize that persona or that user. Um, whereas from like a sales led, you don't need that. It's very like everything sales led is targeted. You already know the persona that you're going to go after. And so the tools don't really need to support all of that like data infrastructure. And it's really just more of like an A to B execution tool. The other thing that I was uh, thinking about earlier was, and I think I'm totally losing it. Oh my gosh, you guys, I need more coffee. Um, <laughs> It was such a good point. So yeah, it will come back. I'm sure. Like it happens to me all the time. I was like, ah, this is like this. Is like, yeah, I'm like, no, don't lose it. Really um, br- groundbreaking point. Uh, that ah, it was good. Okay. And there yes. it is. It's back. So I, I'm wondering, like, I think when there typically is more of a PLG motion in the company, and sales led is typically something that needs to be built out. I think obviously there's still enterprise size deals that have closed, even when that wasn't the main focus or that infrastructure wasn't really built out that way. Um, And so when you're looking at actively building out that enterprise or sales-led motion in a historically PLG uh, motion company, are you looking at like, is it really good to look at who has previously, who you've previously won with on the enterprise side, knowing that you really didn't, it was more of just like accidentally happened versus Mm -hmm. saying who are the users that are, you know, highly engaged in our product today. We haven't today yet been able to monetize those users, but is that actually the segment that we target in this enterprise model? So I think sometimes that's something that I'm seeing be like a sticking point is they're like, yeah, but we're, we've historically won with, you know, marketing. And it's like, yeah, that was when it was kind of falling in your hands because we didn't really build out like the sales led motion yet. We're actually actively going to do that and have more of a targeted, very like laid out approach. Is that still the right person or is it still the right target? Yeah, I totally agree with you. There's like um, sometimes a bias towards like historical data. 
like, but that historical data uh, became that way for various different reasons. Um, so I would actually um, start with looking at uh, like the, the actual LTV by segment um, and say, okay, which segment it actually drives the highest value for, um, for the company. Um, and of course, the, the, the definition of value uh, can mean many different things. It can be uh, like a rate of conversion. It could be like um, time to close. It could be like um, uh, uh, AOV or like a retention rate. Like, but ultimately, you know, all these factors contribute to calculating your LTV. Um, so that that should be almost like the foundation to to find your best segment. Um, sometimes people only look at um, the the end number, but not looking at velocity uh, and conversion rate. Um, so uh, that 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 is a, a key a key factor as well. Because imagine if you can close, you know, ten deals of you know ten thousand uh, per deal versus you can close, um, I don't know, like a um, thousand deal. Well, uh, more like two deals, but like a million per deal, like that, the, the value is different. Uh, in, if you close it in like six months versus like a month and, and also like there's the time frame uh, view that could be that could be different. Um, and uh, from a persona perspective, a certain segments I noticed uh, that tend to convert at a higher rate. I don't know if like Karina, I'm, I'm curious to hear you like um, like uh, like marketing and sales and product teams have uh, typically they're like just. Uh, probably they're very used to having a lot of tools. So they're like very open to explore new tools, adapt new tools and try them. Uh, and, and then they're, they close faster, like everything else being the same, they, they tend to close faster versus um, more of a like uh, operations or like a support function, HR, uh, you almost like have to um, uh, have to nurture them a little bit more but this this sounds like a little bit simplistic uh and, and it could just be my limited number of uh of experiences uh no i think that that's generally what i see too and i also think it's just comes down to like technology adoption i think mm -hmm. they're like marketing product and sales we like have 1800 tools always to like do the thing you know the first marketing strategy we have is like what are the tools can, that we can get to support that and so the technology adoption there as having like software as part of our process always is just like not a like roadblock for us where I think some other personas they're like, if this doesn't add like obvious, obvious immediate value, like not worth my time with, which is more like the engineering operations. And that's just like harder to sell. So I also think that like, when you look at historical data where the sales led motion wasn't built out, it naturally does lean to be more marketing and like product because it, they're easier to sell and they're just like used to technology and software as part of their process. And so they, they generally arrive at the value themselves without much of like building out the product for them or thinking about like how we need to handhold them through to close one. The thing that I like think about and that is always a concern if you continue down that route is retention because yeah. those might have been the easiest to close and they probably are but like how long will they be at the product if you're seeing that actually like the highest adoption is happening with 
operations, you know, that's like the leaky bucket. You're filling it, but how long is that gonna? Exactly. It's like uh, marketers are so used to adopting new tools. So they could, they could be quick to adopt, but they could also be quick to uh, uh, give you up. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Natalie, you have your hand raised. Yeah, you touched on the last one, value and retention. So my question is, I'm doing this exercise now internally. Um, and one of the modeling that we um, playing around was if we can determine creation, um, early engagement, let's say first month and looking at the user behavior every week. And we do have weekly retention for this cohort. And we have hypothesis that early engagement would determine uh, long-term retention. So if I see a user who being active pretty much every week for a couple of days a week, I might predict that for this, you know, let's say we have the dimension as the channels where this user is coming from. Um, and then in the past, we could look at a you know, specific channel and then we can have correlation. Okay, seems like if they active first weeks uh, at specific rate, that will determine retention, let's say, by lifetime value would maybe lifetime would be, let's say, two years versus if he has just a few sessions per month we may predict correlation that it might be only six months. Have you seen this kind of modeling? Do you see that there may be flaws in logic in terms of how we can correlate early engagement with the long-term retention? Yeah, totally. Like typically, um, typically I like segment the different um, retention, like early retention, and then um, run like a, a, um, a regression analysis or like a correlation analysis, and, and you calculate the correlation percentages of uh, both on the positive and negative uh, side of things, and what's the what's the correlation with um, long term retention, and that's actually how you identify your. Uh, set a moment aha moment and habit moment is to look at like the the, the correlation percentages <clears throat> the uh yeah so like the the, the actual action um, that drives long-term retention so yeah that's that's totally right being kind of like a devil's advocate here is there a way where there is a certain persona and there isn't really a key driver of like collaboration beyond the individual user so like while the adoption and the retention might be great for this persona but all of them are individual users and trying to capture that like you know team usage or like enterprise usage is like sometimes missing yeah Oh, totally, totally. That's such a good point. Yeah. So, like, there are uh, there there are certain segments of users who love to use the product, but they never actually upgrade to paid. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I remember running uh, like oh, we're looking at uh, users on the global level. For example, France uh, has very high like early activation rate. Uh, but when we look at like a monetization rate, like the LTV is actually really low because people don't want to pay for, I don't know, SaaS products in France, or they just very used to more of an invoice model that they, they're not used to self-serve upgrades. So like many active users, but like a low, uh, low monetization upgrade rate. Uh, 
Uh, India is another <laughs> example. We see lots of very active users in India, uh, but affordability and like uh, the, their their the um, the conversion rate for to paid is um, a lot lower. So yeah, you want to segment the users to like everything else being the same. Then that's a good approach. Totally, Natalie, go for it. Yeah, it reminds me of the story I heard from Miro. So what they define as um, aha moment is board geared and collaborated with others. So this way, they wanted to increase the collaboration aspect because if you have only one person using Miro, you're not able to monetize it. Uh, to enable the plan, you want to have teams uh, collaborate, collaborating with a person. And that kind of defined uh, the focus within the company um, in terms of what features they want to enable and how they would measure impact they're making. Oh, totally. Yeah. So your question is, is having multiple people in the team correlate with higher LCV? No, it's more of a comment because now I remember the story that if it's a product when oh. the way to monetize is to have yes. teams, it's more of an enterprise. That means the action should involve multiple people to, uh, to measure. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's why like a lot of the single player productivity tools over time all build a collaboration and team feature. Is it just like, it's a, it's a no, uh, it's no, or like whether it's a no brainer or not, but like the, the uh, multiple products in that space started building team and collaboration features exactly because of that. Yeah. Creating some yeah. of like a viral loop because yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. A higher retention and everything. Yeah. Yeah. What else, Holly? Carol, Natalie, anything else on this front? What are some of the like biggest challenges you think for for the team to to build up um, this PLG to to sales motion? What are what are some common challenges you've encountered, Karina? Yeah. This is the less sexy answer, but the truth in my perspective is like team collaboration like cross departments and like the right tech like you mentioned earlier because some of this stuff or like the data that you have to surface that like can't happen without the tech and then a lot of the collaboration that you need from the data perspective or just to surface those insights can't happen without that team collaboration so like the enterprise team being able to get the attention of like the data team or the product side team to understand like who are our most engaged users and how can we start to build the infrastructure to monetize and like build the use cases from like a marketing messaging perspective to drive more of those to the sales led closed one. Yeah. How about you, Ali? Yeah. I, I wish someone has done a blog post uh, to almost like map out the, the tech stack. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's like ideal PLG tech stack for this type of company for, for the, like, you know, this type of targeting and like, you know, volume, here's the ideal tech stack for our peer, for sales driven. Here's the ideal tech stack. And let's just like follow yeah. that. I feel like uh, we're always looking for new tools and actually spend time uh, looking at multiple tools. Um, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe I should write that blog post. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. I think that the one tool that I can call out um, is that is really important when you're moving from PLG to sales led is 
mad kudu in my experience because they bring in both like the product usage data plus whatever like icp firmographic data and then all the other like algorithm magic that it does um and that really helps surface for the enterprise or sales-led team like who are the right people to try to activate and pull in or who is the right target account um and so that's one of the ones that i've seen surface in most of my clients but yeah go ahead natalie yeah and my question in terms of the organizational structure to enable this collaboration with you know beta team and decide on tools what do you see is the most um, effective way to structure beta team in terms of in terms of how to whom they need to report to to foster that communication between marketing sales and product i don't have like can't give you much insight into how the data team should be structured or who they should report to but i think it goes back to i think last week or the week before that, we talked about having some type of like tiger team or like bi-weekly collaboration meeting when this is the main initiative to make sure that like, often I see that when there are requests of other teams like product and data from the marketing or sales team, it's typically like, we don't really understand the why, we know the what, but why. And so having that communication line or like those standing meetings to where, or even like, you know, crossover KPIs is always the best way to do it to like incentivize people. Um, but yeah, Holly, I don't know if you have more to add. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I've seen um, different structures for the data slash analytics team. Uh, one common structure is you have a centralized analytics team um, and the, the, the analysts have um, dedication for different teams. So there's a head of analytics and you have uh, marketing analytics who dedicated to uh, who is dedicated to marketing sales analytics product analytics um, but you know like for the rest of the 20 percent of the time they can actually collaborate and build a knowledge base for the entire analytics team to exchange ideas and uh, etc and that uh, analytics team can report into either a cfo or like a coo um, and sometimes it reports to like a head of strategy if there's like you know chief strategy officer of the world um so like and that that could be that that is a most common structure. Um, at the same time, that analytics team um, collaborate with adjacent teams. So, for example, data engineering is one team that collaborate really closely with data analytics. Um, data analytics and, and data science uh, could be different roles, of course. Um, and then, so the data engineering typically report into um, uh, engineering team uh, who works mostly on the data pipeline, uh, getting you know data from A system to B system, uh, et cetera. Um, certain times, um, if the company's uh, core differentiator is actually their ability to manage data, um, you do see a head of data uh, who manages both the analysts, the data scientists, and um, data engineering under one umbrella. And that team sometimes also have almost like an insight team to like make like almost like an like academic perspective and like there's insights that that's shared across the company. And I think that's a pretty progressive um, structure. Um, 
especially for companies where data is the key, like a competitive advantage. Um, I also have seen uh, a structure where the analysts report into the functional area. So there's a CMO and there's a marketing analyst that report into the CMO similarly for you know CPO and, and, and product analyst. Um, in early uh, teams, since there's typically like one analyst for the entire company and that analyst typically reports into some sort of like, you know, COO or CFO. Uh, but as the, uh, the need uh, becomes bigger, sometimes you see more of the functional reporting structure. Thank you. Very helpful. Yeah. And just jumping back into, you know, the why, especially when you're moving from PLG to sales led, like why that communication or that like collaboration is so important, especially with like data and product teams is because generally like what that enterprise or sales led team wants to know is like, we have all this awesome user data at the individual user level. Now, how do we map all of that either product usage by individual user or users to an account, right? And so that can be like a very big lift that I think most people don't really understand the lift or the tech that needs to, or data infrastructure that needs to live to actually support that um, initiative. And then also understanding within the user base, not just, not from, you know, our demand gen pipeline converted to close one from an enterprise motion, but in our PLG like engine user database, who is the highest, who has the highest likelihood of converting to enterprise dollars, not just converting into the product, converting to enterprise dollars and retaining. And so I think being able to make that initiative like move forward is a big lift, at least in my perspective. And sometimes it's not mapped out correctly. So then on the sales led side, you know, it's hard to really action all of this you know, having that user database from the PLG engine is really a competitive advantage. So unlocking that to power your sales led motion um, is hard to do, but definitely powerful. What have you seen people start to have that um, like a connection? So is it typically people who reached a setup moment or uh, or like a ha moment or habit moment? Or is it something of a combination of product usage and firmographic? What have you seen folks do? I think it depends on the maturity of like the data infrastructure or what type of product usage like key indicators have been mapped out or like... Um, noted. So sometimes it is like, how many times have they, you know, viral loop, right? How many times have they collaborated with somebody or shared with somebody? And that is a key indicator based on historical data that this person is highest likelihood of X, Y, or Z. Um, but some people don't, aren't even that mature. And sometimes it's just down to like, they have this many active users in the, in the account, or they have just total users signed up ever in the account. And that needs the more you can mature that to have like the actual key indicators of the aha moment or like whatever that viral loop is that they've built out or they're building out um, is obviously better, but. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like in early days, especially like having something is probably better than nothing. Like I've seen teams um, having a sales team to touch every single new signups. And that's obviously a lot more expensive. Um, and, uh, you can't really like spend, uh, tons of personalization and the conversion rate is, is lower. Um, at the same time, there's always a fear that if we are uh, not touching, um, everyone, we may have, we may miss 
some of the leads that may not show like early signs of success. So that's a, that's always a struggle, I feel. Yeah, I feel like some of the ways you can get around that, and it, it generally comes down to the sales team being like, but these accounts that I want that are amazing, that are in my dream target account list, like what if we miss those? And so some of the ways to work around that is just having like whatever that priority called priority list from the sales team and making sure that we've integrated that in the data so that when we do have signups at whatever level from that account, we can pass those over. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm, this reminded me from either last week or the other week, Holly, I'm interested to see like how it's panning out. I know you mentioned you were having the BDRs reach out as product specialists. And that's mm-hmm. something that I was thinking about this week too. So how's that going? Yeah, 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 for sure. Like it's a, uh, um, it is ongoing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always like, oh, we wish everyone responds to the outreach, but they don't. Uh, there is like a theory of like, we wish like, you know, 50% of them respond, but like the reality of like very, like a single digit of people respond. Uh, so yes, that's it's yeah. ongoing. I also wonder like how many people are a target account for so many SaaS products. And so it's like you sign up for a product and it's like, oh God, here we go. You know, like um, the ones that get sent straight to sales. I think no matter what, the sales led motion is never, and this is where I do think agree with you that like the PLG motion feels much more B2C because the goal is like transactional or for convert immediate conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas like on the sales that approach, it's a much longer game. And so generally any campaigns that you're running or any like anything like that isn't for the goal of immediate conversion, you know, or like being transactional. And so being able to play the long game, I think can be a different mentality when you're moving from PLG that like, hey, we cannot reach out to them on the first sign that they like look at us. You know, we mm-hmm. have to make sure we're delivering value for a while before that happens. Yeah. Yeah. How how do sales team first develop that list of accounts? Yeah. I think that just, I mean, for me, it, that kind of plays into account-based marketing. And I feel like account-based marketing, 50 to 60, 70% of it is that account, that account list mm-hmm. and making sure that it has different like pulling points. Like I think it can't just be a dream account list of like whales that we'd love to close. That can be part of it if we want. But like the majority of it, especially if you have that PLG like engine built out in that database, like should be off, built off of that and prioritized off of that, either by the personas that you've learned from or the actual people that are living in that database today. So back to like aggregating that data, matching it to accounts or like grouping cross departments into one account, right? And then I think, yeah, depending on if your sales led motion incorporates also like expansion or retention. Mm-hmm. That would be a part of the list building too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like this initial list where it's probably people just get from like a list of like <laughs> Fortune 500. I don't know. Um, <clears throat> and then you compare that with your current customer list and see like, oh, let's prioritize the folks that who already have an account. Uh, and uh, there are tools for ABM where you can get signals uh, of engagement. It's like, oh, okay, like they may not be a current customer yet, but like there seems to be multiple visits from IP addresses or like a, or folks uh, who work at a certain company uh, to our website. 
played or there's some could be some downloads and so let's score them higher and etc so so like abm tools is actually really good for that um for a lot of plg uh marketers when they first um encounter abm tools they're like oh wait like there's only five visits from yeah. this company like they're very used to having you know hundreds of thousands or millions of traffic is like why do i care five visits but then like the five visits is from key decision makers and the, they are like super valuable but like this is like the scale of it um takes some time for for marketers to to adjust to yeah i also think the hardest part for like plg marketers for abm platforms is also abm platforms are great for insights and like collaborating on data insights that matter for both marketing and sales. The activation side of that is not as great or as fast or as transactional as like the things that would be for PLG motion. So I also think that's a little bit of it too. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. 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 Especially if um, PLG marketers are very used to like a conversion focus and like a short conversion window versus ABM, it's typically like a much longer conversion window. And the person who's actually closed, closing the deal is the salesperson. So you're like, okay, like I put, you know, 10 impressions out there or like a 20 touch points of all these like white papers that I uh, put out out there. Do they actually help? Like, yeah. how much do they help? Uh, and that, you know, everything comes down to attribution model. But like, you know, like that's that's the 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 the, the convert conversation between marketing and sales. It needs to happen. It's like, okay, how do we measure the um, ex? Uh, like, you know. The time to close is faster, or uh, like our deal size is is bigger. Um, so you can prove the value of of marketing. At the same time, it's like oh, like there's fewer number of deals to say is this static or is this just like random, uh, yeah, a random sample size. No, and I think some marketers, when you move into that ABM model, that is especially like super high ACVs, they like get scared of the okay i've engaged this account now i'm done like the sales enablement piece that is so important and like when done correctly and like building the relationship with the sales team and not just like hey this is what we're going to do sales team now do it but more in a collaborative effort like yeah. the return is so much bigger and there are so many things that we can help the sales team with post engagement of that account to drive and like Exactly. Not just close the, the deal, but like the velocity of the deal, you know, making sure all of the buying committee that needs to be engaged is engaged. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It requires a lot more patience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're like in the PLG motion, it's so much more autonomous and it's like, let's just go and we know what we need to do. We got to drive volume at very specific, you know, like metrics and it's much more tangible and like in and out where like, the ABM sales in motion is so collaborative that it feels hard to ever feel like what is my impact in this piece of it compared to the other. Yeah. Yeah. Like that, that also like it ties back to what we said about analytics is like, okay, like from which angle should we look at the data and which can be interpreted in different ways as well. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard it's hard to do like a geo holdout now because there's like you know 20 accounts in yeah. this whole region. <laughs> oh man. Well, Carol, Natalie, 
Holly, anything else you guys want to chat through? I know we're getting towards the end of the time. Cool. No more technical uh, question. It's very easy to answer, Karina. Uh, do you have the page with all the recordings previously on the site? Because I see um, for each episode, but I didn't see the list of all recordings once. So I can see um, with our friends. Yeah, sorry. I missed the original, like the very beginning of that. Yeah. Do you have a page that um, has the all episodes recorded in the past? So I can see, you know, episode one, two, three, four versus having yes. a page to episode. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I will share that right now. Everything should live on here. Perfect. So just matterman.com slash blog. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much. This was a really fun episode. Um, episode six. Thank you for joining us again. I appreciate it. Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. It's, it's always a fun conversation. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really appreciate the, the like the attendees bring super stimulating, practical questions. Yeah. Uh, keep us, yeah, keep us uh, close to the ground. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right, everyone. Have a good week and we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Conversations. Appreciate it. Yeah. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.